You're listening to Tech Nest, the PropTech Podcast. In each episode, you'll hear from PropTech founders, investors, and industry veterans on how they're using tech to change the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. Discover market opportunities, interesting data, growth tactics, and trends driving the industry forward. This isn't just another podcast about making money in real estate. This is about how we live. And now your host, Nate Smoyer. Hey, Brian. Welcome to the show. Hey, good to be with you, Nate. Glad to have you here. I was, um, you were, you were at, uh, Blueprint earlier this year, right? Yes. Live in Las Vegas, in person and everything. I not, I, we did not have a chance to, to meet up. And I realized after the fact, and I was a little bit bummed about that. What was your, what was your takeaways this year from Blueprint? What'd you think? Well, I, obviously it's an interesting time for PropTech, right? Um, when, underlying markets experience turbulence, a lot of great businesses get built. And I think there's this sense among people who've been playing in prop tech for a while is actually a great opportunity for a lot of, for a lot of companies that are trying to change, you know, the prop tech industry. Yeah, uh, I would agree. Similar sentiment. I'm excited. I think we're in a really fun phase and I'm excited to have you on the show because you're not, I'm not saying you personally, ground floor is not a new kid on the block when it comes to the prop tech landscape uh for everyone listening i've got brian daly he is co-founder and ceo of a company called ground floor they they describe themselves as a fintech but i'm gonna i'm gonna say slash prop tech company if that's if i can have that permission there yep slash slash prop tech company they're working to increase the accessibility of investing in real estate and we'll talk about that what that means is it just the real estate or you know the debt side we were talking about that in the pre-show the pre-show <laughs> discussion uh, companies just celebrated 10 year anniversary congratulations on that and has achieved pretty significant milestones such as inc 5004 years in a row that one it gets harder every year it's progressively harder to keep doing that yeah yeah a lot of these so awards congrats on all those Thank you. A lot of these awards don't mean as much. That one really does because it you have to prove it, you know, with your financials and you have to uh, yep. continually perform. And so we're pretty proud of that one. And you have to be at a certain level of scale in order to qualify for it as well. Yeah. Well, business for two years and then like your like third year has to, or like third year has to be at least a million dollars in revenue or something like that. And then every year That's has right. to go up There's from like there. a pretty significant cutoff. And uh, then you have to, of course, grow fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and that's a hard thing to do. Uh, the last few years, um, there's been no shortage of venture capital pumping into prop tech to drive that growth. And so, I want to ask you, since uh, you know, founder running a company for ten years, uh, I mean, that comes back. You, you've you've been at this since the the beginning of the last downturns recovery. Right. Yep. What has changed? Well, in our world, um, you know, so, so prop tech has a lot of different facets to it. You know, there are people working on, uh, you know, 
technology for, you know, systems for buildings. There are people who are working on SaaS products, you know, for multifamily, you know, or for office. There, there's a wide range, you know, there's prop tech that's being a, a applied to climate, which I think is a really exciting area. Um, hmm. the, the corner of project that we're working in acknowledges that financing and capital is the lifeblood of real estate. And there's a revolution happening in capital formation that was set in motion by the advent, by the promulgation of rules after the 2012 Jobs Act. So in 2012, Congress passed uh, an act, the Obama administration signed it into law. It liberalized capital formation for a wide range of companies and importantly for us in PropTech, it liberalized capital formation for private investments. And real estate is particularly dependent upon private investments in order to fuel its growth. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we started the company in the wake of that legislation. And so I think what's changed is we've seen the rules come into effect. We've seen... Uh, a investment technology industry grew up alongside PropTech. And we, as a company that spanned those two, you know, FinTech or investment technology and PropTech, we've really benefited from a lot of the popularization of alternative investing, a lot of the popularization of looking for new sources of capital on the bleeding edge of capital formation in real estate. And that's that's been the exciting change is that this is really the elements are in place. We're reaching exciting levels of scale. There's an acceptance of alternative investing, of, of new forms of real estate investing, of new sources of capital. And that's that's what's driving a lot of the growth for our company and the industry generally. Now, when I uh, hear the words alternative investments, I in the last few years, I have come to equate that with crypto uh, NFT uh, cartoon Absolutely. characters. Is yeah. that what you mean or you mean something different? So I mean that plus. So formalistically, we talk about alternatives as alternatives to what? Alternatives to public market investing, right? For the longest time now, for since the 70s, really, when Congress or the SEC deregulated stock trading commissions, brokerage commissions, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's been possible and growing in popularity for individuals to invest directly in stocks or invest in stocks through mutual funds or ETFs. We all know and love that as public market investing. The younger you are, Bank of America research recently published in the last year shows this, the younger you are, the more you believe, you more likely you are to believe that investing in alternatives to public markets are the way to build wealth and provide for your future. Real estate investing, people don't think of it as alternative because it's so well known. But what's mm-hmm. alternative is the way to invest in real estate investing, the way to the way to invest in real estate. The way people have invested in real estate historically has either been through a vehicle like a REIT, right, which is like a public market stock or a, a fund mm-hmm. that trades on a stock mm-hmm. exchange. There are also private REITs. But what's new and alternative to these sort of public market or quasi-public market options is the ability to participate directly in real estate investments on a fractional basis, much the same way that we could go on Robinhood and buy a fraction of a stock. So when I talk about alternatives, yes, people have ventured into cryptocurrencies and 
NFTs and trading cards and shares of wine collections and, you know, a fraction of a fine art, right? Like this is happening all over the place, but the largest, best, most familiar, and frankly, most promising category is in real estate, specifically residential real estate. I do, I do believe it has longer staying power than another tulip bulb uh, <laughs> frenzy. I mean, when we were thinking about the product to build, right? My, I met my co-founder in 2012. You know, he actually worked on the Jobs Act. So the reason I met him is I, uh-huh. I was interested in building some kind of product in this area. And as we interviewed investors to say, well, what kind of, what kind of product do you need or would you want? That would not be a public product, but that would take advantage of these rules. And overwhelmingly, people asked for something that was tangible. And the most tangible thing around us is real estate. And then we realized that the most familiar form of real estate is residential housing, single family houses, because at any given time, Mm. 62% of Americans anyway, own a house. Um, and, And so we built a product in that sector purposefully because we wanted it to be a mass market product. That was an alternative to public market investing. You're ahead of the curve, I would say, uh, and seeing that. Uh, I mean, maybe that was in smaller circles, but the mainstream message of single family being the the go-to asset class in the last few years has certainly increased in volume as uh, an attractiveness. Um, you know, it was only a few years ago, I think the you know the multifamily syndicates uh, and, the, and the, the the language was multifamily. Yeah, single family you right. have two units, you got two roofs, got two doors and two of everything else. And then we got to see like, well, the returns here, wait a minute, the desirability is increasing. The the supply is way behind the ability for anyone to deliver. Uh, This actually could pencil out. seems to, seems like people really believe in single family. Yeah. What we discovered is that in single family, there's a long-term supply shortage and people mm-hmm. have been scared in this market where mortgage rates are increasing and it looks like it might not be as good of a deal. But what you realize is that interest rates to borrow to build those properties, the building still needs to happen. The renovation of aging housing stock mills still needs to happen. Demand is still there, even though mortgage rates are high. And somebody mm-hmm. has to go build the supply and is going to be richly rewarded for doing it, which is why you've seen all this price stability in most markets that we cover in most segments that we're in. We've actually underestimated the price increases year after year. Um, you know, we're, we've been amazed, but we're always very conservative because we want to make sure we get our capital back on the loans that we make. But the the, yeah. the winning formula in single family investing is fractionalization, because for too long, becoming a real estate investor even either meant turning your money over to a REIT, right, on one hand, mm-hmm. or buying a property yourself, which is not passive investing, is not what most people, not the risk that most people want to take, you know, not, doesn't line up with the expertise or the time, the way people want to spend time. And so fractionalization is the winning formula, whether you're playing in the debt part of the stack or the equity part of the stack. And that's what's come to single family real estate investing. That's what's exciting. So you you brought up the word fractionalization. I want to dig into that. Uh, that's one of the things that you guys help investors get into real estate is that they don't have to come in with, you know, fifty thousand, a hundred thousand dollars. Right. It can be far less accredited, non-accredited. So I want to start with something first. 
Uh, you're not the first in fractionalization. There's been many other companies that have come and propped up over the last few years. Some of them have not survived. What really sets apart Ground Floor from the other fractionalized investing apps and, and companies that exist today or have failed to continue existing? So there are a lot of companies that sound like Ground Floor. There are many, many platforms. You know, if you just Google your real estate investing or real estate crowdfunding is another term people use. What sets us apart and has since the beginning is we had an intention early on before people realized that this was important to serve the mass market investor. We didn't want to limit our offerings to just accredited investors who we felt had plenty of choice uh, in what they would invest and how they would invest already. We did a couple mm -hmm. of things very early that were, um, you know, risky and controversial that paid off in a really big way. Number one, we pursued regulatory qualification. So we've been a qualified issuer with Securities and Exchange Commission now for eight years. Uh, it hmm. took about two, two to four years and about two to four million dollars uh, for us to achieve regulatory qualification wow. on a nationwide basis and to build that foundation. Now, what I didn't appreciate as an entrepreneur is all the ways that that would make our product hyper competitive, uh, more flexible, uh, more efficient uh, than it would have been otherwise. The, the regulatory process and meeting the requirements of the, of the rules actually made the product better, more performant, and, and established mm. an, a, a culture of accountability in our company that I think is distinctive. Um, in, a, in a world where you know a lot of people invested in Peer Street because Andreessen Horowitz funded Peer Street, and they raised $160 million of venture capital and declared bankruptcy this year. Why? Well, the reason is they served only accredited investors. It, your minimum investment at Peer Street was $1,000. So how diversified was your portfolio? Not very, right? The, the decision that they made to serve only accredited investors had disastrous consequences for them in a first order, mm -hmm. second order, and third order sense that ultimately ended up in their failure. Now, Ground Floor didn't make that decision. We decided to build a product for everybody. We submitted to the regulatory disclosure. That made us less hypey, you know, and less, we're not backed by venture capital so much as we're backed by 7,000 shareholders who are our customers and own 30% of the company. We've been financed the way that wow. John Bogle financed Vanguard, right? We are, we are, we are almost mutually owned. Uh, by our customers. And that's distinctive. That's a very different kind of company and a very different kind of product offering in a world of a lot of lookalike startups. Yeah. I mean, and obviously like in real estate investing, it's, it, it can be sometimes challenging to differentiate. Uh, it sounds the same. Hey, we buy single family homes. So do we, yeah. uh, we, we're going to target a rate of return of 10%. So do we. Like what's really the difference? Um, you know that can that can be difficult to to set aside in this space. Um, it, obviously, a, some a, of the longevity. There's a product difference that that drove a lot of this. We also made another decision that felt um, you know kind of unsure at the time. Is instead of starting with equity, like when people think about investing, they think, oh, I'm buying a slice to own 
Like there's, there's a startup yes. out there right now that's selling, that's very successful in selling slices of rental uh, equity, right? And that sounds like a great idea. Oh, I, I own a piece of this house. Well, the returns, it turns out, of owning a rental house are not as good as the returns of providing debt to renovate a house that's later going to be offered for rental. And the reason that our product, I think, has been so popular, and we've sold a billion dollars worth of securities to retail investors on our platform, a billion dollars. We have $300 million assets under management, right? That's been turning over. uh, And it's a very sticky product because when when we sell these investments, we sell them we started off selling them $10 at a time. Now we sell them $1 at a time. So you can have a portfolio of hundreds and hundreds of loans, very broadly diversified. And the thing about a loan is that it pays off. It's due at a certain time. It's due in one year. And frequently it pays off in six months or three months. And this is constantly turning over, which means whereas a REIT might pay you 4% or 6% or a rental house might pay you 6% or 4%, of dividends mm-hmm. every year, gra- a ground floor portfolio, once you have it up and running, will pay you 10 to 12% per month because it's returning your capital to you all the time, right? Loans pay right. off. And, and you you're get saying because your- you're, you're invested across multiple loans, not just the one. Multiple, multiple. You're hundreds of loans because our minimum investment is, a, is $1. And you know, these loans are constantly repaying. It's a cash machine that's unlike anything that anyone else has created. And, you know, if you were an institutional investor, a family office, a hard money lender, you know, you, you know this. Back in 2002, you'd know it. But this just hasn't been available to the rest of us mm-hmm. who maybe only have a few thousand dollars to allocate to this space or maybe 20,000, which is our average you know, uh, investor after two, three years, they're, they're up to about $20,000 of investment total. So I that's think that's another cool. reason we've been very successful is being in the debt part of the capital stack is, you know, it's, uh, it doesn't sound like it's going to go to the moon because it's not, but it's also going to repay with a very high degree of predictability. Very cool. I want to, I want to dig in more on the product side. Uh, yeah. You guys recently announced a new product, Ground Floor 3.0. Walk through what that is, what why this is such a you know an achievement for the team and what you're doing and how you think this is gonna help shape the future of investing in real estate. So most investors who are participating in the public stock markets are participating via an index. You know, we are buying, you know, an index fund or an ETF that tracks an index. And the reason we're doing that is most people don't want to put the time and energy into picking a stock or picking a mutual fund and making a bet on a management team or on a fund manager. As individual investors are funds. So the most famous you know, private real estate fund is the Blackstone REIT, for example. There's been a lot of press recently about people having trouble getting their money out of Blackstone REIT. The fees are wow. extremely high. In Blackstone REIT, and REITs are going to do what's good for the REIT, right? Uh, that's the problem with being subjected to some of these private funds. So the question is for us, and at Ground Floor was, we built a product that allowed people to kind of go it on your go it alone and be self directed. You know, you can pick and choose the loans that you want, you can design strategies that you want, 
but that's work, you know, and a lot of people don't maybe don't want to do the work or don't feel confident doing that work and picking and choosing. And so we built an auto investor account that is, you know, ground floor 3.0. If you go to ground mm-hmm. floor today, it's, it's the main product that we're offering. And what's great about it is instead of fractionalizing down to $10, it's now fractionalized down to $1. So when you invest a hundred bucks to start or a thousand dollars to start, you're allocated into dozens and dozens of loans. And as loans repay, it automatically puts you into the next one. So it works like an index fund. Oh, a robo it's, it's a robo. I mean, it's, it's basically a robo tool. Put it that way. It, it's yeah. not advising yeah. you on what strategy to take. It's just saying ground floor is big enough now that we are, you know, we are, representative of a broad enough swath of residential real estate investment debt that we now are at a scale where we can provide the customer with an index in the same way that you have an index on the stock market. And it, you know, of course we don't cover every state in the country and we're not, but it's, but it's enough scale today that it becomes Mm -hmm. as predictable as an index. It's free to the investor. It doesn't cost anything, right? It's, it's zero load zero fee. Um, and, and I think it's what's needed in the market today for the next wave of investors who they're not hobbyists. They don't want to spend the time messing around with it. They just want to put their money in, let it go to work and, you know, collect the returns. And that's what the app does. Yeah. Yeah. It it does make sense to me. I mean, I, you know, other fractional products that I've looked at over the years, right. I like the idea of owning part of a city. But mm-hmm. if I'm buying into that city, and usually it's one asset type, so I'm buying right. into then one asset type within one city. So then if something happens that changes things in that city, uh, or a natural disaster, or there's a, you know, a significant swing, I mean, you know, if Austin is having significant price corrections at the moment, which, you know, these things happen, but their price yeah, corrections right. pretty significant. So yeah. I could see how an index, if I was, you know, essentially an index fund buying into Austin, I might not like the look of my profile, uh, you know, you my portfolio not. at the moment. I might not like that, but having a little bit of Austin mixed in maybe with, I don't know, Cleveland, maybe some Kentucky in there. I'm sure there's something in Kentucky happening that, you know, Atlanta, probably in something England. in the Midwest. You know, yeah. Yeah. Columbus. Yeah, these are all the great. No one said Rapid City, South Dakota. What's going on here? It's half South Dakota, yeah. man. That's yeah, man. it's the sleep route. Um, I want to tell everyone about. It, it, don't want to, but I mean, you got to have that diversity that kind of protect your portfolio. I think. I think when, as as the mass market of individual investors come online, this is the key. It's indexing mm. into alternatives, and real estate is the first sector where we have enough scale, especially single family residential real estate is where we have enough scale mm. to offer indexing credibly. And and that's what Ground Floor 3.0 does. It's a first step in that direction. We're gonna build on it over time uh, and increase the diversity and increase the volume. And you know we have big plans for that product. But what you see today is you know the first of its kind. It's the first credible, way to index into an alternative investment yeah well, it seems pretty cool and there was one feature uh i took note of the cash target feature can you can you yes. talk through that of how that works sure so i mentioned how because this is real short-term real estate investment debt 
it turns over pretty quickly. Uh, one of the things we realize is a lot of people are looking for income, right? And a lot of people want sort of regular income on a monthly basis. The cash target is a convenient way to stop the robot from continuing to invest up until you get to a certain amount of income. So let's say what you're, let's say you have a portfolio of, you know, a couple thousand dollars and what you're looking for is maybe a couple hundred dollars of income a month out of that portfolio. By the way, that's mm -hmm. possible once you've built up a portfolio over time. Like that's how much this cash machine product throws off. You can set a cash target of $200 and every time, you know, the robot, every, it, every time you receive a repayment, it'll accumulate in your account until you get $200 and you can withdraw at any time up to $200 or you can wait to withdraw until it hits $200. But when it hits $200, the cash target feature will then start reinvesting instead of pooling up money for income. So for income investors, it's great because you say, hey, I want my income to be 200 a month. Mm -hmm. I know that once I invest in this long enough, it's going to get to 200 a month, even if I have about $2,000 invested. And the software is going to pull that up for me over time so that then I can pull it off whenever I want uh, and take that income. It's, it's pretty unusual in alternative investing to have that kind of liquidity, but that's, yeah. the kind of, that's the kind of unique benefit to investing in this type of product that a lot of people, once they discover it, they start pouring capital into it and reinvesting at a really high rate. That's what we've seen over 10 years. Wow. I, it does sound pretty cool. I, I might have more questions for you that are going to get down into like a uh, sales yeah. customer <laughs> nature after the call here. But speaking of customers, because this isn't maybe the, the standard path to real estate investing, what are you guys doing from a marketing perspective or go to market perspective to get in front of investors to show them this opportunity to, and of course, I'm sure you get plenty of objections, but what about this and yes. what about that? How do you, yep. how do you break down those objections to show, Hey, this is really what it is. So number one, we do it with disclosure and data. So not that everybody wants to go read all the fine print, right? Mm -hmm. But the fine print is there and it's, it is on file with the Securities and Exchange Commission and you can download and read till your heart's content to make sure that we're a real company and understand how we operate and see audited financials, just like you would a public company, right? That's a level of disclosure that few platforms in our space, you know, really submit to. You can, you can go see exactly how much revenue we made last year, how much cash we had on the balance sheet, you know, how much cash we generated or consumed, where that money wow. went, what we spent it on. You can see everything, just like you can a public company. And that's purposeful. So that's number one is disclosure. Second, uh, we are uh, prolific publishers of data. So every month we publish an asset management report on our blog that shows every loan that repaid, whether it repaid in full with extra interest, whether it repaid late or early, or whether we had to take ownership of the property and go recover funds and maybe some principal was lost because we factor that into these returns, right? That are Mm -hmm. Currently, I think returns are averaging about 12, 12.5%, you know, and that's net of losses. You know, um, it's pretty exceptional, right? Like, it's a big number. Um, but we show on our blog exactly what we returned and how we did. We publish twice a year uh, a diversification analysis that shows how every portfolio on our platform held by an individual investor has performed 
based on how many loans that that portfolio is in and what returns on average they earned. And you can see there's some dots that have done better than others on the on it. And the and the more loans you have in your portfolio, the more likely your return kind of clusters around that 10 to 12%. And so we disclose that. We show we publish uh, two or three times a year we publish a portfolio analysis that shows how our overall portfolio has performed, whether loans are defaulted or extended or current. So we're, we are very prolific in terms of publishing about performance and setting expectations. And then within the product itself, we're trying to understand what people need to hear from us to know that this isn't too good to be true. Uh, it is a legitimate investment offering that's been around for a while and has a track record and that it's not difficult to use, right? It's not, it's not beyond what most of us you know, can take on and understand and, and it's not going to mm-hmm. absorb your life, you know, in order, in order to get involved with it. And so we're, we're playing with that. How do you give people enough information when they're considering, you know, purchase of this product or signing up for this product and, and depositing money? And then how do you show them as they're using it, how it works in a way that's intuitive? And this is all, I mean, this is all really as a technology entrepreneur who's been doing this for 30 years, like I love this stuff. You know, it's the intersection of product and marketing, um, really interesting questions. And, um, you know, I think whenever you think you've solved it, you release a product that you think you've solved it, you realize, ah, shoot, you know, there are five things we could have done better. Let's go build another one, (laughs) you know, and make it better. But and that's yep. the kind of company we are. We're, we're agile and we iterate, and um, and I think you see that in the pattern of product that we've produced over the years. Uh, but that's that's how we think about it. You kind of you kind of alluded to like learning lessons along the way. What's something in the last few years you've learned about investors that maybe you were you had a different idea and then turned out to be something else? Well, I, you know, I was new to real estate investing um, and real estate finance when we started the company. I don't get to say that anymore because we financed, I think we funded over 4,500 loans and returns. After a decade, I think you're, you're seasoned. Half a billion dollars. I think I'm a real estate person now, uh, real estate finance I think person so, anyway. yeah. Um, and what I didn't understand, uh, and I, I was advised of this, but I didn't know it at a, you know, at a heart level is how important it is for people to um, to understand exactly what's happening with their investments frequent with the frequency in the format that they expect. And so I think we all take it for granted that people are paying mm-hmm. attention and that mm-hmm. they're following along and that, oh, of course, they know that we're doing, you know, whatever we're doing. I, I think as an entrepreneur, it's difficult to put yourself in the shoes of the customer through the whole customer journey and really appreciate, you know, all of the things that we take for granted as operators of a business or as providers of a service that, you know, we, we think sure people are seeing and they're not. So like, you know, loan updates, you know, we, we signed ourselves up to provide frequent loan updates on every loan. Well, some of those loan updates, the way that we wrote them, you know, opened up more questions than they answered. You know, we thought we were being transparent and really open, but actually mm-hmm. we were scaring people you know, with the way that we were saying things. And so we had to learn how to communicate in a way that gives people the information that they want and need, but also, mm-hmm. you know, doesn't give them 
it doesn't give them reason to be even more concerned because of the way you said it or something you didn't say. And dialing yeah. that in and understanding what people really want in terms of their experience over time, I think was um, was eye-opening for me. You know, and it's an area that we continue to focus on and and try to continue to learn and, and in different situations and di- like during COVID, what people needed to hear and wanted to hear was very different, you know, from before COVID, you know, people were really scared during this environment where some real estate markets are all, all over the place. We have to go back to first principles and say, here's what it is to own debt. Here's why the exact price isn't as much a concern for you as a debt investor as it would be if you were an owner of the equity, you know, and, and there's, there's a real tendency as an entrepreneur who's a mile deep into what you're doing to forget that not everybody knows what you know or realizes what you realize. Uh, and you have yeah. to figure out how to get that across at scale. I mean, we have 50,000 investors with assets on our platform, right? That's a lot of people to be thinking about and communicating with. Totally. I mean, there's so many things in there that you said that I can immediately relate to. My time as a real estate agent, I brought some of my marketing analytics skills with me and yes. I wanted to share charts and graphs and, and I was saying absorption rate. And then I would see the, I would see the pullback. Like, I don't know, man. And I would just see like the push, like, ah, this might not be a good time. But on the, right. on the other side, before I joined Avail to lead marketing, which is uh, for those who may not know, is a platform for DIY landlords to manage their properties. I had already been a DIY landlord. I bought the property myself. I fizzboed yep. it. I found a bunch of different tools. I went through all the pains of figuring things out and getting a lease and digital signatures and getting people to pay me rent online and not doing Venmo. And, and so when I got to Avail, I knew the problems that I was like, hey, these are the things that really pissed me off as a customer. And I had that, still had that clear lens from not having been on the inside. So I think, I think that's a super valuable insight. Like you've just, it's hard, but you have to think from the customer perspective. You can know it intellectually, but then to feel it and to really put yourself right, to feel it. That's different. You're, you're, you're totally not wrong about that. I, oh man, I've, you could have been a fly on the wall of some of the conversations I was having (laughs) with, with that comment. Well, I, I want to move us along here. Um, we're going to jump down to the bottom of the show for a segment I like to call For the Future. For the Future is when I get to ask each guest who comes on the show to give their best predictions based on the following four questions. Brian, are you ready to play? Let's go. All right. Number one, what does ground floor look like one year from now? One year from now, uh, I would say we are offering a broader array of investments uh we've been tinkering around the edges with a bunch of new products and i think when you come to ground floor you're going to see a a wider range of investment opportunities than you do today that's exciting question number two and this is what everyone's tuned in for since you're on the debt investing side of real estate i gotta ask you where do interest rates go from here well i think higher i think i think higher uh, I think uh, until the Fed decides to reverse course uh, and the bond market uh, decides, you know, to, to reverse course, we're going to see higher rates. There's there's an increasing probability of some softening. Um, 
you know, and there are scenarios where rates could decline precipitously, right? If we run into a geopolitical conflict, uh, if the federal government, you know, um, you know, if things change in the economy in a way, if we enter a, a very fast and deep recession that uh, has to be uh, remedied through monetary policy, I think we could see that. But I think a lot of the goalposts are being moved out for a lot of that um, from from a lot. I'm, I'm no economics prognosticator. I mean, we we try to stay current in those trends. We try to stay knowledgeable and very flexible to react to them. Um, mm-hmm. It's dangerous to try to predict them. And I, but I, but I do think, you know, it's pretty clear unless something, unless there's some exogenous shock, we're going to be higher for longer. Uh, and we're all watching the horizon to see when that might change. For what it's worth, uh, no one that comes on the show is claimed to be a professional prognosticator. We're all just winging it. We're just making it up. Uh, <laughs> All right, number three here. What's one industry trend you think will continue, but you wish would go away? One what trend? What's one industry trend you think will continue, but you wish would go away? Um, I think offering... uh, The world does not need another fund. And I keep hearing entrepreneurs in our space give up on fractionalizing, crowdfunding, syndicating for the sake of efficiency. Um, and they convince themselves that starting a REIT or, you know, giving up and capitulating to just go be another fund, you know, offering funds as the way for retail investors to get access to private market investment necessary. And uh, I think it's going to continue because it's the easy way out. But at Ground Floor, we've never taken the easy way out. Uh, and we're here to disrupt funds. We think there's a better way. And the last one here on For the Future, what's one thing you believe will dramatically change or fade away in real estate as a result of tech advances? What will go away as a result of tech advances, tech advances in real estate? Um, well, in finance, I think this idea that uh, you know, the same old capital pools of institutional capital, accredited investors, family offices, you know, this has been the time honored way to finance real estate. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, reads, I think those pools of capital are going to give way to new insurgent pools of capital that are going to change the way that real estate is financed who gets financed and what gets financed on what terms. I think that is incredibly promising. If you care about affordable housing or climate change or, uh, you know, gentrification and fighting that uh, or more inclusive spaces, all of these things, all these social externalities that real estate can, you know, can, can pose. I think, are influenced by financing. The source of capital matters. And I think that's gonna change. Uh, It's already changing. All right. Brian, we're gonna jump to the last three here. These are questions for our listeners to get to know you just a bit better. What are you reading? Well, I'm just finishing uh, Walter Isaacson's biography of Elon Musk. I think that the book, for those who haven't, uh, picked it up yet. Um, 
it's very informative about what drives the man. And it's interesting to get a, an inner look at how he operates, you know, and sort of mm-hmm. the level of detail, you know, in which he's, he, di- he dives into a level of detail uh, that is surprising. And there are specific examples of the book across his, across his companies about how, you know, about how he operates that I don't know that it would work for everyone, but it has certainly worked for him and you can really appreciate how it's, uh, it's, it's very, very intri- intriguing. Very cool. Number two, who are you learning from? Uh, let's see. Who am I learning from today? Uh, I am really lucky to have, uh, an executive coach who teaches me a lot. Uh, his name's Tim Peake. And uh, he operates with the uh, Conscious Leadership Group, CLG, uh, which is an amazing uh, outfit for leaders who are uh, really trying to, as I am, trying to raise their game, uh, be good humans, uh, while also being good business people. Um, And I've really learned a lot about myself and about um, how I am as a leader and um, the impact that that has on people around me for good and sometimes for bad. Mm. Uh, and I, I really appreciate him for that. So he's a, he's an important uh, source of learning for me right now. Uh, that sounds very cool. And the last one here, what inspires you? My faith inspires me. Uh, it has since my earliest days as an entrepreneur, uh, I have specific examples of where, um, I believe uh, Providence intervened to uh, to look out for me and my company and people who I care about. And uh, I don't think I'd be here without my faith. I certainly don't think I would be uh, the person that I am or the entrepreneur that I am. And I don't think we'd have the company that we have without it. Uh, and so um, I'm very grateful for that and very inspired by us for all of us um, and the way that that shows itself uh, at work as well as in personal life. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Well, Brian, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, I'm, I'm really glad to have had you on the show here. Uh, we've got to cover an area of real estate we haven't done yet on, on tech nest. And I think that any of the listeners are, would agree. They've probably learned something new here before I go and close out uh, for those that want to go or learn more about ground floor and or connect with you, where do they go and how do they do that? So I'm a, I am on Twitter at Brian underscore Dally, and we have ground floor un, underscore com, uh, ground floor com. Uh, those are two easy ways to connect. And of course, our website is groundfloor.com. There it is. Uh, hopefully, I will catch you at the next event. Uh, we'll yes. connect to find out where you guys are going to be. And I've got a few coming up early next year. Uh, but until then, this has been a lot of fun. We'll see you around. Thanks for listening to TechNest, the PropTech Podcast. Find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode on technest.io. You can get future episodes delivered to your ears directly by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all other major podcast apps. Follow TechNest on social media to stay up to speed on new developments, resources, and announcements in PropTech.
Your support is greatly appreciated. There's two ways you can directly support this podcast. Share episodes you find interesting and then leave a review of the show in the App Store. From Nate and the Technest team, thanks for listening.